Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Now, 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 now for the names of God. Uh, There are a lot of names in scripture that are given to God. And when you think about names, names actually mean something. My parents named me Jeremy. They had debated whether or not they would call me Jeremiah, and my mother won out uh, to Jeremy. They just kind of ended, ended it in a normal way nowadays, right? Uh, but my name means God's chosen, which is exactly what I told Wendy when we were dating. And <laughs> I'm kidding, I didn't do that. <laughs> you know what my name means, girl? Uh, I didn't do that. But there was something about the name that, that mattered. You know, Jeremiah connected to my parent. The name matters. The meaning of the name matters. Uh, you might take a look and all of you are probably going to get on your phone and go, I wonder what my name means if you haven't actually already done that. Because in the time that, that scripture was written, the names of a person would reveal something about the person. It would speak to the person's character or attributes. Names really mattered. It wasn't like then they would say, you know, that's a pretty name. I think I'll call my kid that. Instead, it was what's the meaning behind the name? Because that's who I want my kid to be. When God reveals his names to us, he reveals his name so that we can know something about his very identity. There's examples in scripture where names actually revealed something about what was going on. And I'll give you one example. There's a guy named Ichabod. The term Ichabod is found in two places in the Bible, in 1 Samuel 4 and chapter 14. Ichabod, just so you know, was the son of Phinehas and the grandson of Eli, uh, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh. Uh, Now the sad story of Eli and his two wayward sons, Phinehas and Hophni, is found in 1 Samuel chapters 2 and 4. Now, uh, Hophni and Phinehas died in battle with the Philistines, and the Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant, and they took it away from Israel. And upon hearing the terrible news, Eli fell backward off his chair. He breaks his neck, and he dies. Phinehas' pregnant wife went into labor, and she has a son. And the way that the story reads, it says, and she named the child Ichabod, meaning the glory has departed from Israel. And that's because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and because of her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. So literally you have a person named Ichabod whose name means inglorious or there is no glory left, which was representative of her pain and her despair. We actually don't know her name But what we do know is how much she grieved the loss of the glory of God when God had left his people. The glory of God is used to describe God's favor and his blessings toward his people. It's what it's meant to do in scripture. In the Old Testament, God's glory is seen as a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire that followed Israel as they were traveling to the promised land. It represented his presence to his people. It represented his protection and his guardianship over his people. Now, once the Ark of the Covenant was built and placed in the tabernacle in the wilderness and later in the temple in Jerusalem, God's glory resided there. It was the symbol of his presence among his people. And when the Ark was captured by the Philistines, the glory left 
and Ichabod became a reality for all of them. God is not with you anymore. Jesus later refers to the concept of the glory of God leaving Israel in his last message to the people, his final word to the religious leaders of his day. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you. How often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you weren't willing. Look, your house is left and it's desolate. As Matthew records it in Matthew 23. That was Jesus' final statement of judgment on Israel for them having rejected him. He has indicted their leaders and by indicting the leaders, he indicts all of the people that are following them. That's why leaders matter is because people follow them. And Jesus is like, yeah, and look at where you've gone. And my glory isn't among you. Notice that he says your house is desolate. He doesn't say my house is desolate. He says your house is desolate. He doesn't say his father's house is desolate. And now it's your house because God has left it. Your house has become Ichabod. My glory isn't there anymore. The Greek word that's translated desolate, just so you know here, when Jesus was speaking to this group, means to be in a place of ruin. My presence has left and you're in a place of ruin. It's cursed and it's devoted to destruction. And they won't see Jesus again until he comes in his full glory. Matthew reports at the end of that chapter in Matthew chapter 23. Now that's a powerful statement, isn't it? You have a name, Ichabod. The glory of God has left. You have a people in Matthew chapter 23 where Jesus looks and he says, our glory, my glory has left you and I leave you to yourselves. When you think about names, you can see why names actually matter. If they're talking about what they reveal about the character or the attributes of a person, a name might actually matter. Some of you who will be future parents are probably gonna think about this sermon later before you name your child, right? You just say, I'm gonna give this kid a name that I want this kid to be. There are attributes I want this kid to possess. Wendy and I may be hit or miss on that. You know, Lila means dark beauty. She's blonde and blue, y'all, you know, we missed it, sorry but she is beautiful. When it comes to names, and think of some of the names that we give to people, when we actually call somebody something, we're giving them a name, trying to basically put an identity on them. Think about it, it's what you're doing. On the positive, it might be something like, this person is kind, this person is generous, this person is loving. On the negative, it might be something else, we're not gonna worry about those. But often the names we give people reflect what you are thinking about that person. You give them a name. Names matter. Most of the names of God are given in situations in Scripture. And it's in those situations that people in the Bible learned the importance of why God has the names that God actually has. Names, especially in the Near East, as you figured out, are trying to tell us something. So the question is, is what is it that God wants to tell us as he reveals something about his name? And when it comes to God, he reveals himself and he gives his name. We don't give him a name. He gives his name so that we can experience him, not just talk about him. And let me tell you something, friends, that's good news. Because how else would you learn about who God is if God isn't telling you who he is? That's why the Bible is so important. God hasn't left us without a witness. He's revealing to us from beginning to end something of who he is and how he wants you to experience him. He tells us 
this. And so one of the names that we're going to be looking at today is the name Jehovah. This is the most frequently used name of God in the Old Testament. It's mentioned over 6,800 times. And the way that God likes to refer to himself, this name is number one. One of the most famous passages that this name is revealed in is in Exodus chapter three. Let me review that for you. Moses is sent to Pharaoh to tell him that his people were to be set free. It says, so that they could worship me. I want you to go to the Pharaoh, God tells Moses, and I want you to tell him it's time to let my people go so that they can worship me. It doesn't say, I just want them to be let go. I want them to be let go so that they can worship me. Now imagine asking Moses that one. That's a tough one, right? I want you to go to this guy that thinks he's God and I want you to tell him that, I want you to basically give him an order. I want you to give him a directive. In other words, I want you to exercise some authority over this guy that thinks he's God. That's a big thing to ask a guy to do, right? And that's exactly what he's asked Moses to do. And, and just so you know, for Moses, he's been running from this guy. So it's not like this is a part of his background to say, you know, I just like confronting him. And as much as I can do it, I think I'm going to do it. Moses had been on the run. The Bible says that when Moses was 80 years old, he was living peacefully as a shepherd in the desert. 80. So he's not a 25-year-old guy that's just amped up with energy and testosterone. And God says, I think I can use that guy because look at him. We're talking about an 80-year-old guy who has removed himself and he's living peacefully. How many of you would like to live peacefully? Because I know I would. And then you hear something from God. I've got an assignment for you. Oh, see, now I've got to leave the sheep and go get busy with a guy that's not going to like me very much. And one day as he was tending his flock, that's exactly what happens. He hears the voice of God and it comes from a burning bush that doesn't burn. Now, do you think that that probably arrested his attention? My guess is it did. Just as he walks and he looks, it burns, but it isn't consumed. What's happening? And the answer is God is revealing himself to Moses in a pivotal time in the life of Moses in a very unique way to get the attention of Moses. Part of the reason might be because Moses has been living a peaceful and happy life. He's content. He's got to do something that he says, now I've got your attention. And are you ready to listen? On the one level, as you see in Exodus chapter three, uh, verses four and five, God reveals himself through a unique experience. On one level, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, why, why are you calling me to talk to a guy that I've already spoken with, because he had, to ask him the same thing that I asked him before and got a no, that got me in trouble and is the reason that I'm sitting out here in the sticks with the sheep to begin with, and now you want me to go do it again? This doesn't make any sense. Have you ever had an experience of God that when you encounter God, you know what God is asking you to do and you think, this doesn't make any sense? You ever had that before? It just doesn't make any sense. Truth be told, being a pastor wasn't anywhere in my plans. Nowhere. Law or medicine? Take your pick. And here we are, enjoying each other on this fine Sunday morning, right? Have you ever had that kind of experience with God? Moses says, when I go, they, and he's talking about the Israelites, 
He's like, okay, so I leave here and then I go. But when I go, the Israelites, they're gonna wanna know, they're gonna know why they, why they should listen to me. I mean, who am I? And they're gonna wanna know who sent me. By what authority? Do I, hey, everybody, follow me. Why would they even care to follow me? Much less Pharaoh. Nobody's gonna listen. And God says in Exodus 3:14, I am who I am. And to the Israelites, you tell them that I am has sent you. And then he goes on to say, this is my eternal name, a name to remember from generation to generation. You tell them that. I am. Now, this is a reference to God being eternal. When you think about having somebody on your team, you know, the college football season kicked off over this last week or so. Many of you were watching your favorite team you were looking for players that have skill sets that are just incredible. And you go, glad that person is on my team. Maybe you feel the same way about volleyball or basketball or band, whatever. Glad this person is on my team. God was revealing something in his name when he looks at Moses and he says, now let's think about who I am because I am the one that is also on your team. And when he says I am, what he's saying is I am limitless. I did not have a beginning. I do not have an end. There's absolutely nothing that can stop me from doing what it is that I want to do. And I've said, you're my guy and I'm on your team. Now, do you think that that might give you a boost of confidence to go and do what it is that God has called you to do? I would think so. Time won't limit him. Space won't limit him. Around the third century BC, out of their reverence for the command, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain in Exodus 27, the Jewish tradition held that the word Yahweh it was so sacred, they decreed that it should only be spoken by the high priest during the designated day of atonement because they didn't want to get God wrong. They were very careful with their words. Let me, let me give you an abusive words. How many of you ever had somebody break up with you and say, you know, God told me to? Have you ever had that happen before? I have. And you know what I thought? Hey, if you want to break up, that's totally fine. But don't be dragging God's name into this. You know, we just don't fit. It's all right. It's all right. It's amazing how we will drag God's name around without any sense of the reverence that we're supposed to have for the name of God. They got it. Only on the Day of Atonement and by specific people was it even allowed. Now, when it comes to Jehovah, this is basically an English derivative of that name. It appears as the root of another, a number of names that you see in scripture. Jehovah Elohim, the God who made the heavens and the earth. You see this in Genesis 2. Jehovah Jireh, this is the God, the Lord God who provides. You see this in Genesis 22. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals you. You see this in Exodus 15. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord who is the victor. You see this in Exodus 17. Jehovah Shalom, this is the Lord who will give his peace. You see this in Judges chapter six. This is God who is the creator of all things, wants to foster a close relationship with the people that he has made. And what he does, instead of being aloof and distant, he chose to reveal himself, giving them his true name. This was an act of intimacy and an act of mercy. He says, so that you can know who you're dealing with, so that you can know me. 
And you can see why this would matter to Moses. He's about to be asked to lead an entire people group out of slavery, but before God sends him on his way, he says, I'm gonna reveal myself to you. I'm gonna show you me. And one way that he shows himself to Moses is as the bush is burning and he looks at Moses and he goes, take your shoes off. Be careful how you approach me. And Moses does. This is a posture of respect. Remember who you're talking to. But I still want to connect with you and do something amazing through you. It also reminds Moses of his limitations. Talking to a God without limitations, Moses needed to be reminded of his limitations. And when Moses responded to him, it says God then revealed the next plans that he had for Moses' life. One that Moses wasn't interested in, would have never thought of. In fact, he had every excuse not to do it. You want me to go and talk to the Pharaoh and I've got a speech impediment. I'm not even a good talker, but you want me to go. He had every every excuse not to go, but it was his experience of God that changed everything for him. He says, I gotta leave the sheep and I gotta go do the Lord's work. And off he goes. In the New Testament, Jesus picks up on I am. And when he communicates something to people and he uses the phrase I am, they knew what he meant. And in the New Testament, the phrase I am usually necessitates something afterwards like I am love or I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But in this instance, God doesn't give something afterwards. He just says, I am. But when you see Jesus talking about it, he gives some descriptions. And here's why it matters. Here's what he says first. Something that you can know about me and the way that I want to bless you is I'm the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger and whoever believes in me will never thirst. It's not gonna happen. Jesus is speaking to crowds and when they were there, he multiplies bread. He feeds 5,000 men in addition to women and children. He was trying to convey that unlike the bread that people were eating, he would truly satisfy our hunger forever. Like the manna that fell from heaven and the bread he multiplies, his fullness will not run out. He says, I want you to know that that's who I am. He says, I'm the light of the world. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He says in John chapter eight, his light, it exposes the evil in the world because it raises it up out of the darkness that it hides in and his light bears witness against the world. You can see it because you see him. You can measure the world because you see him and you can see how the world doesn't stand up. It exposes it for what it is. It illuminates the good, but it also illuminates the evil, but his light also brings life. Because as Jesus also said, I am the door. I'm the door. Truly I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep and all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep, they didn't listen. They didn't listen. And he says, I am the door, I am the door. And the reason that he gives this metaphor, we're the sheep and the kingdom of God is the sheep fold. It's the group of them. And he says, now you might want to come and be a part of this, but I'm the way into the sheep fold. I'm the one that has the protection around it. I'm the one that has drawn it in. And I'm the one that's reaching out to you to come and be a part of it. And then this example where he's talking about being a part of a sheep fold, 
we, through him, we find just like you would see in the Old Testament, we find pasture. Like the psalmist says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. How many of you would say that you know that you've needed your soul to be restored? You can feel the brokenness in it and the hurt. Jesus says, I'm a door to healing because I am, he says, the good shepherd. The good shepherd, he says in John 10, lays down his life for his sheep. It's what a good shepherd does. I know my own, my own know me, and just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I will lay down my life for my sheep. I would die for you. Right after revealing that he's the door to the kingdom of God, Jesus builds this out. Not only is he a door that leads to abundant life, but he's the shepherd that leads us and guides us to that life. There's no confusion here. He's showing us what the way actually looks like, and it's his way, it's his path. It's not just what he says. He's like, do what I'm showing you to do. He's claiming to be God, not only by using the phrase I am, but by connecting himself to God as shepherd, like you see in Psalm 23. They made the connection. This guy's saying something about himself, and he's different. Because as he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. I am that too. One of the things that people have become intimately aware of, and I was thinking about this some, some years ago. You know, in high school, I had some friends that were in an accident, a car accident. And, and it was a particularly tough one. Uh, it was a rainy day. They were leaving school. They're going out on a road. They were speeding. Um, they lose control of the truck. Literally, they kind of hit, hit a ramp kind of in the road, and they literally go airborne. There was so much torque uh, in the truck, and there were some people sitting in the bed of the truck that they got thrown, and you had the truck literally go up and hit about six feet up on a tree. Boom, they hit it. Most of the people that were in the truck died. I have a friend that is also a paraplegic as a result. When you're sitting there and you're 15 or 16 years old, uh, to be fair, you're not usually thinking about death. You're just not. What you're thinking is that most of life is ahead of you, is that you still have all of these years that are available to you. They did not. And when you're encountered with these very real situations in life, and maybe you've dealt with your own, where death was very near to you, first, it wakes you up to the preciousness of a moment that every day really is a gift. It wasn't owed. God was gracious. It wakes you up to that. But the other thing that it wakes you up to is that you need somebody to help you. Uh, because when Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, what he's saying is, is I am one that will not only die, but I'm going to beat death. And that's why the resurrection matters. It helps us see death differently. It's just different. And even with Jesus, after he resurrects, he's appearing to all of these people and they're like, hey, I know that guy. He's recognizable. He interacts with them. And we get this little snapshot, and it's just a snapshot, but you get this little snapshot of what the afterlife is going to look like. You have community with each other. You're talking with each other. And you're in the presence of the Lord himself. And he says, yeah, that's me. I am the door to that kind of life. He says, because I am the true vine. I'm the true vine. I'm the true vine, he says. My father is the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may more, bear more fruit. I'm the, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And whoever abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Here's another way of seeing it. I'm the source of everything for you. Whether you reckon it to me or not, I am. And right before he dies, Jesus looks at a group and he says, I've got one more thing I want to tell you. Just a quick lesson about who I am. When the soldiers are seeking Jesus out in the garden of Gethsemane, and you know that wasn't his best moment. He was suffering. The soldiers are seeking him out. And they approach up and he, he says, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am. That's all he said. I am. And in John chapter 18, when Jesus said that, they fall like dominoes. All he had to do to stop the cross from happening was this. And wipe out every single person that was in front of him. And it's not what he did. In a moment before his own death, he still revealed something of who he was. Because when Jesus said this and they fall to the ground, everybody's like, whoa. Do I have your attention now? And in spite of it all, there was a cross that was waiting for him. I want you to remember something as we end this series on the names of God. God reveals his names to us so that we can know through who he is. Usually in the middle of an experience that we're having, and we see him in his attributes for who he really is. The God who is present, the God who provides, the God who is victorious. His names matter. The only question that we have this morning is what kind of reaction have you had to the God that's revealed himself to you? Not have you had a reaction? Because you have. If you look in scripture, and a lot of us believe this, if God would just perform some sort of miracle for me, then I'd believe. Really? Because if you look in scripture, God was performing miracles all the time. And what you see is, is that most people still didn't believe. Just give a little bit more. I gave you a ton. Sometimes it's not that God needs to reveal more. It's that we need to respond to what God has already revealed. And this is what is so beautiful about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. Everything that we need to know about God has already been given. We have already seen it. It's revealed in his word. That is it. The only question that we have this morning is are we going to believe? That's really it. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.